When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a Thursday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. I'm Dan Lobby, joined by Mary Kay Cabot and Ashley Bastock. Uh, today, we are going to talk about some Browns players who need to step up in 2023 for this team to get where they want to go. So let's get right to it. We're just going to kind of throw some names out there. Mary Kay, why don't you go first? Who needs to really step up in 2023 for this Browns team? You know, one of the players I've been thinking about in that category is David Njoku. Uh, you know, in, in watching the Super Bowl and in watching the playoffs, you know, we saw really good performances by uh, guys like George Kittle, uh, Dallas Goddard for the Eagles, of course, Travis Kelsey. And you can see how important a really, really good tight end is to these elite quarterbacks. And I think that David has all the talent in the world to be able to step up and produce more than he has. And, uh, and I think it's time for him to do that. Uh, he's getting paid. He's now one of the top five paid tight ends in the NFL. He played almost at a Pro Bowl level last year, but now it's time to pick up the production. I think he needs to be a little bit more consistent. I think that he needs to be targeted more. I think that Deshaun Watson needs to take advantage more of what he can do in the red zone and in the end zone. And then when the ball comes to David, he's got to make that spectacular catch on a more consistent basis. So he's someone that I I think, you know, really needs to step up and become uh, a genuine bona fide pro bowl tight end in 2023 and make a huge impact. So Ashley, I think, David Njoku was one of our nominees for most improved um, in our Cleveland Browns awards show a couple weeks ago. But I agree with Mary Kay. I think he still has to level up here. I think there has to be something there. There still has to be something more with David, both on like Mary Kay mentioned, how, how often he's targeted and how he's used, but also from David's end. Yeah, and especially like Mary Kay kind of always says, David Njoku in theory should be a kind of guy who can score eight touchdowns a year. Now, I think this year he had a couple of key things working against him. Number one, he had that ankle injury he was dealing with. He missed some time. I think he kind of battled through that, but it got him out of a groove. And I think early on he had some really nice games and nice plays, including against the Steelers at home comes to mind first. Um 
but I think too, it's a matter of him playing more with Deshaun Watson, who he only got a chance to play with out there for a handful of games and Jacoby Brissett used him, but you know, Jacoby Brissett didn't throw a ton of touchdowns, which we know. So I think that impacted him. I think, you know, knowing that Deshaun Watson has historically used his tight ends and look to his tight ends in the red zone. I think all of those things are working in David's favor um, on top of, once again, how young he is. I know we joke, he guy still feels like he's 21, even though he's been in the league for going on like seven years or whatever it is now. So I think all of those things are positives working in his favor. But at some point, I think we're kind of nearing the end of, oh, what can David Njoku be? Like he is going to have to step up and it has to be sooner rather than later. So Mary Kay, Ashley mentioned the injury. Um, and the first game he missed was the Monday night game against Cincinnati. He missed the next game against Miami. He came back for two and then he missed another, um, the game against Houston. But in those first seven games, and I've got it pulled up here on pro football reference, he had 34 catches for 418 yards. Now he only scored one touchdown, but they do a per 17 games when you kind of select this. That pace in those first seven was for 83 catches, 1,015 yards. And then, of course, the touchdown number was not very high. But if he has 83 catches for 1,015 yards, he's not a Pro Bowl alternate. He's just a Pro Bowler. Yeah, and I think that's the level that he really does need to get to. So I do think you're right. You make a good point. The injury interrupted what was shaping up to be a really, really good season. And we can't forget the fact that his blocking has been tremendous. And you saw that from other tight ends in in the NFL. George Kittle's blocking is so good. I mean, we've seen Travis Kelsey. These guys also block really, really well. And that's so vitally important in this offense. So that will serve him well. But now it's time. It's time to add that other element to his game. And I think that element in my mind is, uh, you know, scoring the football. It's time to score the football. It's time to get those eight touchdown catches that I've been talking about for a couple of years. I've always predicated that on having an elite quarterback to be able to get him the ball in those types of situations. Now he's got it. So, you know, some some people have held it against me that I, you know, that I said that and and it didn't happen last year. But this has always been about, Deshaun Watson and David Njoku. Now let's see what you have. Now there's no excuses. He's got to stay healthy, of course. Uh, he's had a couple injuries here and here and there in his career, uh, so he definitely has to stay healthy. But you know this this should be his year. He should have a breakout year. He should make it to the Pro Bowl. So just mark your calendars now. Next year, I don't know December, whatever. When David Njoku catches his eighth touchdown pass, we're just going to start up. Our podcast software here, we're going to go on mute and Mary Kay is just going to go off for like 30 minutes. That's going to be our podcast that day. That'll be our post-game podcast after David Njoku catches his eighth touchdown pass. And then he too can have the right to throw water balloons (laughs) in Vegas or wherever they go next year. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Okay, Ashley, who do you have? Yeah, so I am going to think about the defensive side of the ball here. We're going to switch gears. And this is a guy I think we've talked about a lot in this context, but I am going to go with JOK. I think his biggest problem has been staying healthy. I think when he is healthy, he's kind of flashed this athleticism. I'm really curious to see what Jim Schwartz does with him and considering 
you know, we've talked a lot about in Jim Schwartz defenses, how a lot more responsibility is put on the defensive line typically. So that should make life a little easier for the linebackers and allow them to get more creative, which I think is something JOK does well. But I think when we've talked about him in the past, you know, it's staying healthy, number one. Does he have enough weight on him to stay healthy and to effectively play the position, I think, is another thing that we've gotten after with, you know, the coaches. I know I asked Joe Woods about it towards the end of the season and things like that. So I think knowing how versatile he is and how athletic he is, I still have really high hopes for him. But we didn't see him take that big second year jump because he was injured so often this year and had a season ending foot injury as well. So I really think that if he steps up, it could go a long way in the second level of that defense to kind of help them. Yeah, Mary Kay, one of the things when we talked to Jim Schwartz when he first got introduced that I, I think is important is, you know, this wasn't John Dorsey who had been bunkered down and, you know, watching tape like he was a GM, even though he wasn't before he took the Browns job. Jim, Jim is kind of still learning about these guys and he hadn't really dug into this team. Um, I, I mean, I'm sure he did research before he took the job, but he hadn't really dug in to the level where he could really give us good answers about players if he even wanted to. Uh, so I'm really interested to hear kind of what Jim Schwartz actually thinks about how JOK fits, what he wants him to look like, um, how he wants to use him, because he's going to be a key piece to this defense. And Ashley's right. he's He belongs on this list of guys that have to step up next season. Yeah, and I think he will. I mean, he was coming off of uh, the horrible tragedy that, you know, that we've talked about of losing his brother last offseason. And I think that impacted him you know, in many ways, you know, physically, emotionally, of course, and otherwise, uh, just like it would for anybody else. So I think that, you know, with that another year behind him, uh, he should be starting off this season in more of a position of strength, uh, both literally and figuratively. So, um, so that is something to sort of keep an eye on a little bit. But, um, certainly he does need to step it up. I mean, he is, he's basically considered a first rounder for, for the Browns. I mean, they felt that he was a first round talent. Um, now, traditionally, it seems like uh, Jim Schwartz hasn't valued the linebackers as much as he has his defensive linemen, his defensive tackles, his ends. Um, and I, you know, he doesn't really blitz that much, uh, but JOK is a special talent. And so I think he'll see that in him. I think he will see his versatility, his shiftiness, his ranginess, his ability to play uh, well against the mobile quarterbacks in the NFL. I mean, the game has changed since Jim Schwartz last coordinated a defense. Uh, you know, even in the last two years, there's been more of a proliferation of dual threat mobile quarterbacks and, uh, you know, RPOs and different things that have been going on over the last couple of years. So, you know, I think it's useful to have a, a very, very versatile linebacker like that, that can drop into coverage, that can blitz, that can do all the kinds of things that JOK can do. And remember, everybody regressed on this defense last year for whatever reason. Everybody except for Miles Garrett did. So now it's going to be incumbent upon Jim Schwartz to bring everybody up off the mat and try to get the best out of all of them. Ashley, what does a bounce back season look like to you for J.O.? Maybe not bounce back, but what does a stepped up season look like for you to J.O.K.? 
I mean, number one, I think it's just more consistency. And it took him a while to get going this year where, like, you felt like he was making an impact. And really, for me, I think the first time we saw those flashes were that October game against the Ravens. So for me, I just think it's more about him being out there and available to kind of do those versatile things that Mary Kay was talking about, and especially to help your defense against these mobile quarterbacks. Because, you know, in theory, he's a guy that can cover a receiver if he has to. He can go after a running back if he has to. He can chase down a mobile quarterback if he has to. He can blitz if he has to. He can do all these things. So I think it's just a matter for me of him being available to do them. Mary Kay, is there a specific like sack number or something to lead the team in tackles? Is there some benchmark you, you would look for? Is it just kind of the eyeball test? Well, you know, I don't know that he's going to have an opportunity to get that many sacks because, as I mentioned before, unless Jim Schwartz changes up what he normally does, he likes to rush with the front four more, more so than anything and doesn't blitz a whole ton. Now, maybe with, again, as we mentioned, maybe with JOK, he will view this a little bit differently and get him going forward towards the quarterback a little bit more. So I, But I don't think I'm going to go sack numbers uh, with this. I think I would more so um, probably focus more on takeaways. I, I would think that if he can force some fumbles, recover some fumbles, and maybe get some interceptions, I think those are the kinds of big game-changing plays that he can add to his repertoire that would really make him jump off the page and jump off the screen and give this team what it needs. Okay, well, I am ecstatic that this player is left for me. I wasn't sure that he would be, (laughs) even this early on in the podcast. Um, So the player I think that needs to step up the most in 2023 is Deshaun Watson. The starting quarterback, the franchise quarterback, the guy you kind of gave up everything for. Um, we're sort of we sort of talk about Deshaun Watson in theory right now, and I think we've been doing it for a while because we know what he's capable of being, and we know why he he wasn't that, or at least we think we know why he wasn't that at the end of the season. But it's also when he starts at quarterback in to start the 2023 season, it will have been three seasons since he was that player uh, who led the league in passing a couple years ago. So, you know, 58.2% completion percentage, seven touchdowns, five interceptions uh, in the last six games of the season. He went three and three. It certainly wasn't inspiring. You know, Mary Kay, I would not expect it to be that bad. But it also needs to be like it needs to be the 70 percent passer that he was a few years ago and the guy who can lead the league in passing and can do all of those dynamic things. That's what the Browns need Deshaun Watson to be next season. So uh, he's he's going to be my pick here. Well, first of all, you're welcome for for me leaving I, you I the, know. <laughs> for leaving you the low hanging fruit. I always steal the quarterback stuff, so I figured I would leave that to you guys. Um, but you know, I of course 100% agree with you. He's got to do much better. He knows he's got to do much better. Kevin Stefanski knows that, and everybody in the organization knows that. Now, I will say, and I've said this a few other times before, he had a couple of weird games that don't lend themselves to a good evaluation. 
The first one was his first game back December 4th in Houston. Uh, there was so much going on emotionally and just physically with it being his first game back that it was, it was difficult for him to perform well in that game. I don't even think his limbs were working properly in that game. I think he was wiped out. And, uh, and so that, you know, they won that game and they were lucky to win it. But I don't think that that was a game where you can look at and say, oh, geez, this is, you know, what you can take from this about Deshaun. I think it's throw that one in the, in the trash can and kind of forget about it. Um, the other one, of course, was the ice bowl that I've been calling it, you know, the very freezing, freezing cold game, you know, the loss to the Saints on Christmas Eve. And, um, and in, you know, he had three touchdown passes dropped in that game. And when you have a small sample size for what you're doing in a season, that can drastically change the picture of what you have accomplished. So he couldn't have gotten all three of them. He would have only been able to get two of those back. Um, but if he had those back, that would have changed his numbers drastically. Um, so, you know, we would be looking at, did, what, did you say it's seven touchdowns and five interceptions? Um, I think. Yeah, sorry, I navigated. I was looking something up. Yeah, seven touchdowns, five interceptions. And five interceptions. So, so he would have, uh, you know, obviously, you know, nine touchdowns and, you know, maybe five interceptions. But when you look at the fact that one of those in that game went right off the hands of rookie receiver David Bell, you know, that changes your interception numbers too, right? So technically, if he hangs on to that ball, you know, then you're looking at, you know, nine and four and nine and four is drastically different in the world of quarterback rating, completion percentage. And again, we're talking about a small sample size. So you don't have a whole bunch of margin for error in terms of your stats when you only have six games to begin with. So I think that game kind of threw him off the scent in terms of being a good quarterback and what he's capable of doing. I saw him, I thought I saw him get better each week. When you fast forward then to what I called the bruise bowl the other day, he got sacked seven times. Some of that was his own fault. Some of it was the fact that Jack Conklin didn't play that game. James Hudson did. And it was his first start since he didn't have a good game the last time against Pittsburgh last season. So that was another tough eval of Deshaun Watson. When you don't have the time that you need to get the job done. When you couple that with the fact that I think we all can agree, he didn't have the speedy receiver that he needed. Uh, you know, he didn't have a few things that he needed. And I think he should, he will have those things in this coming season. He's going to have that fast, twitchy receiver, maybe even a couple more. He's going to have a better David Bell. He'll have a better Michael Woods. These guys are going to have a better idea of how to work with a quarterback that is mobile and that you need to stay alive for on the scramble drills and uh, just in general, how to have that better chemistry with him. So I think, um, you know, the arrow is pointing up. I think he should be much better. Yeah, I agree with a lot of that, Ashley, that there were certainly extenuating circumstances. And look, the biggest one was he hadn't played football in 700 days when he first took the field in Houston. Um, so I agree that the upside is there. And I certainly, if if you made me bet on it, I would think he's going to be a significantly better player than he was in those six games. Is he going to be the guy in 2020? I don't know. But he's going to be closer to that than he is the guy that we saw here at the end of this last season. 
Yeah, I mean, like Mary Kay said, he had so much, I think, working against him on the field this year. And just the time away that he had to miss that I essentially think that those last six games with him were basically the equivalent of an extended preseason for your team to kind of figure out, okay, what pieces work really well with this guy? What does he like to do for him and Kevin Stefanski to really start to get a feel for one another? But it's just such a small sample size and he hadn't played in so long that I'm with you guys. I mean, the upside is definitely there. They need it to be there. He needs to play much better than he did in some of these games where you know, all of these other things were working against him. But I think that's why it's so important, this offseason work that, you know, him and Kevin Stefanski have talked about doing together. And, you know, Deshaun saying they need to have that conversation about this offense, that man-to-man conversation uh, the last time we talked to him. So I do think all of that is really important because you need to find a way to unlock that potential this year so you're not wasting another year of that five-year contract. Okay, let's take a break, and then when we come back, we'll go through three more players that we believe need to step up for the Browns in 2023. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And back on the Orange Brown Talk podcast, Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot and Ashley Bastock. Mary Kay, I, I had to take Deshaun before you came back around, so <laughs> you are <laughs> you are back on the clock here. A uh, player that needs to step up for the Browns in 2023. You know, when we were trying to decide what we wanted to do for the pod today, we all agreed at the outset that, you know, we could name a lot of different players uh, for this particular category. Uh, But there's one that always comes to my mind, and that is rookie receiver David Bell. I think that uh, that there's a lot more to David than he was able to show last year. He has the bar set very high for himself in 2023. I got an opportunity to talk to him when he was doing a, uh, a rookie symposium type of thing out in Los Angeles a couple of weeks ago. And he spoke in terms of, I want to separate myself from the rest. I want to be better than anyone else on the field. I mean, he's got lofty, lofty goals for himself. And I think that's good because uh, it shows that his confidence hasn't waned that he didn't lose confidence from what I think was a challenging season. Now, I think it was hard for everyone to go from one quarterback for the first 11 games to a completely different style quarterback in the last six games. You develop a rhythm with the first guy. You know how the pass comes in. You know where he puts it, uh, you know, on your body on a fade. You know, you have all these nuances together. You've got your chemistry, you've been communicating via text and all those kinds of things. And then the new guy comes in and it's a completely different ball game. The weather changes, you know, guys are playing you differently. Um, But this is an opportunity this year for, you know, David Bell to really kind of step up and seize the moment. The Browns obviously like him a lot. They have high hopes for him. Uh, We remember Andrew Berry saying that he felt that he had the best hands in the draft. Kevin Stefanski was really, really excited about him. And he only ended up with 24 receptions on 35 targets. 
that's not what you would have expected. You know, I mean, there were a lot of other rookie receivers that had, uh, you know, better production and guys, not just the, the first round guys that we know about and the famous guys that we hear about, um, but guys that were in the neighborhood of, of where David Bell was selected had some decent production. So, um, you know, I think, I think the opportunity is there for him to step up and to be the, that very, very reliable receiver that, that Deshaun Watson needs. And if he doesn't do it, he's going to be replaced because you really need that slot guy to be amazing. Ashley, this is one of those positions that, um, you know, so the Browns could decide, let's go in and, and just give the job to David Bell. I don't know that that's going to happen. But this is one of those positions I could see the Browns, like Mary Kay just mentioned. Maybe they draft a couple of receivers and those guys kind of fit that mold of a twitchy, fast slot receiver. David Bell is not that type of receiver, obviously, but he's he's kind of a more traditional slot guy. Um, but they, they certainly can create competition there really easily for him. Uh, so I, I don't know how they're going to approach it. I have, you know, I'm doing posts on guys they could steal from each team and I have Jacoby Myers as an option, but mm-hmm. some of his projections on like Spotrack and PFF are like double digit millions per year. I don't think they would spend that on a slot receiver, especially because they have David Bell there, but he's definitely a guy it's, it's going to sort of be now or never for him. Yeah, I think so. And I think, like you said, there there might be this competition they have brewing, but they just didn't throw him the ball a ton. Um, and he had two drops this year, which isn't a lot, but one is that very memorable where the ball went off of his hands against the Saints and it led to a Deshaun Watson interception. So very unfortunate for him on that particular drop. But I do think it would be interesting to kind of see if they go after somebody who does have that more twitchy style, because we know David doesn't play like that. Speed has never been his strength. His strength is his hands. And I think it's, we talked about this at the time that they drafted David, like trying to temper these expectations of, oh, well, Jarvis Landry was slow. So maybe he'll be the next Jarvis Landry. Like that's a really high expectation for anybody to reach because Jarvis Landry is so, so good at what he does and so good at getting open in other ways. And I think David has a long way to go. It's not really fair to make that comparison for him. And, you know, when we've talked about all season, all last season, how it felt like this room was a veteran receiver short. I know Mary Kay's used this ter- term, like maybe they need like the poor man's Tyree kill, like that speedy guy who can just like get open. And David Bell's never going to be that kind of guy. I still think you're missing that guy. So that'll be interesting to see if that comes up in this competition, if they go out and get somebody who's a veteran twitchier, has that more kind of style as opposed to what David Bell does. I know Lance Reislin has been looking at, at wide receivers. He texted us uh, all earlier today about wide receivers. So we're going to have to have Lance on to talk about some of these wide receivers in the draft, because there might be some guys um, that, that really kind of fit that mold that they're looking for. Okay, Ashley, who do you have next? So when Mary Kay said rookie, I was like, oh no, she's going to take who I was thinking of, but she went the David Bell route. So I'm going to go the Cade York route. I just think with this kicker position, we know how much the Browns have struggled with consistency. This will be the first time since Phil Dawson left that they have the same starting kicker they did the year before. And Cade struggled with consistency throughout this season and missing some kicks so badly that they missed the netting behind the goalposts. And he talked a lot towards the end of the season about 
kind of realizing how different the NFL season is from the college season. And he had to go through this adjustment when he got to LSU as a freshman. He feels like the adjustment has been very similar in his rookie year in the NFL. And really what it came down to for him, he said, was not getting so stuck because he's a perfectionist on worrying about his technique later on into the season that essentially he felt like he was putting too much pressure on himself and he needed to kind of let his muscle memory take over. But I think when you draft a kicker like they did and you get a guy in the fourth round, that guy has to produce consistently for you. So I did not get as lucky this time around. That was one of the guys that I had circled Mary Kay as potentially my next option. Uh, Mm. But yeah, I mean, I think York is York's a big one. They need him to develop into that reliable kicker that they drafted in the fourth round. Yeah. And as it stands right now, as we're taping this, we don't have uh, all of Kevin Stefanski's changes yet uh, on his defense, on his coaching staff, but it seems like Mike Prefer is coming back. So uh, Cade York should have the continuity of having the same coach. Uh, so that, you know, that should help him. And then I think he needs to do a few other things. I think he needs to perhaps spend a little bit more time down at the stadium. Uh, I think he needs to go over all of his film uh, and try to find out sort of like what he did wrong in certain situations. I think he might need to learn how to play the wind a little bit more. I probably would dial up Phil Dawson again and just talk to him and go over that rookie season a little bit and kind of, Uh, maybe get a little pep talk from Phil. I got a chance to talk to Phil, not about Cade, but I talked to him about Joe Thomas. He's coaching high school football down in Austin, Texas. And he took over a team that won like, I don't know, four games or something or four combined games the last how many ever years. And they went eight and two this year. So good for Phil. But I think that shows that he has some good coaching ability and so he probably would be a great resource for Cade York. And I haven't really gotten the vibe from Cade York that he's super open to the whole Phil. Da- I think he got so sick of us asking about Phil Dawson that I don't know if he's like as open to that as maybe he could be. Uh, but I would dial up Phil and just kind of have a kicker to kicker, heart to heart conversation with him about what he can do better. Um, but I think he should, um, I think he should take that leap in year two. I, I always joke that, um, any offensive lineman and any kicker that gets drafted, they just got to be ready. They got to be ready. Cause they're going to get asked about Joe Thomas and they're going to get asked about Phil Dawson. And you know what? Rightfully so. Joe Thomas is a hall of famer and, uh, Phil Dawson, one of the best Browns players since they returned, which might say a lot about the Browns as well as Phil Dawson. But still, a fan favorite, one of the Browns as they return. And Mary Kay, look, he is a guy that knows there's a Phil Dawson flag. Me and Ashley <laughs> were drawing pictures, trying to figure out where the Phil Dawson flag was. It's that important. So yes. uh, you might get sick of getting asked about him, but it's still it's still worth making that phone call. Don't be stubborn on this one, Kate. Uh, all right. My guy is going to be Grant Delpit. I think this is, you know, the Browns have so many needs to fill on that defensive side of the ball. And, you know, we talk about tackle, we talk about edge rusher. We don't know what's going to happen with John Johnson yet. That's another one of those things that as we're recording this, we just don't have a firm answer as to, are they going to redo the contract? Are they going to move on? What are they going to do there? Grant Delpit 
has a job. He's going to be your starting strong safety. He's going to get to play in the box. Uh, Lance Reisland was on here before the end of the season or after Jim Schwartz got hired, and he believes Delpit can thrive in a Jim Schwartz defense. So this is this is kind of your moment. Grant, you finished the season strong. You looked really good at the end of the year. Can you continue that now into becoming you know, one of the best players in that secondary and becoming a guy that really can thrive in a system that's suited for you. And we see a lot of safeties who, you know, they do one thing really well and they turn that into a really nice career. So if he can become like an impactful in the box safety, Mary Kay, he can make a lot of money doing that. And he can be a very valuable piece of this defense doing that. Um, And this is kind of his year to get that done. Yeah, I think so. You know, as you mentioned, I do think that John Johnson the third, with his $13.5 million cap hit for 2023 is a candidate for something. Restructuring, trade, release, something is, is going to happen with JJ3. And if he's not here, I think it sort of opens the door for Grant Delpit to be the, the showcased receiver. I mean, the showcased safety. Uh, the the one that's in the spotlight and and has the uh, the very prominent role, and I think the fact that he is another year out from a torn Achilles that is a tough injury to come back from, but being one more year away from that I think will really help him. Uh, he he got a lot of reps last year. He got a lot of snaps, and and he learned uh, a lot about the game, a lot about the pro game. And I think there's every reason to believe that he should be better this coming year. I think he's got a nose for the football. He's got, he's got sort of ball hawking instincts. And again, that's what they really need. You need guys like that, that are going to be around the ball and, you know, punch it out of there or intercept it and otherwise make those huge impact plays. And I think that Grant is capable of way more than what we've seen so far. Ashley, what do you think of Grant Delpit here? Yeah, when Mary Kay said ball hawk, that's kind of the word I was thinking of because as the season went on, and I think when Grant's talked about it, he's even said, like alluding to the Achilles injury that he had to deal with, like this was the first year he really got consistent snaps in that spot and played as much as he did. And I think what's so interesting, kind of like why Lance, I think, has gravitated towards him as being a guy who could jump out in this defense, like he played really well when he was in the box and he was effective against the run as the season went on. Now, that's not saying much because this run defense was pretty bad, but he did, I think, tangibly improve in that aspect. And he was able to get his hands on the ball, be disruptive later in the season. So I think you did kind of see him take those small incremental jumps. And I think with this defense who struggled to create takeaways, especially and make game-changing plays, Grant Delpit's tendencies in those areas – I think could really go a long way as they try to piece this new defense together. Okay. Any names we, we left out, I'm, I'm scrolling through the roster right now. Are there any names that jump, just jump in if you've got one and that kind of jumped out to you as, as somebody we should mention real quickly here. I was thinking of, of Alex, Wright. I mean, he's mm-hmm. really got to go from zero sacks to he's got to become that five sack guy. I mean, you need that out of your third edge rusher. I think they're going to need to sign a really, really good number two, like a Yannick Nagakawe or somebody in that class, although he, you know, he won't come cheap and neither will anybody else that can get you nine sacks. But, um, but then you need a five sack guy 
Because remember, that's what they had the year before. That's what they got out of Jadavian Clowney and Tackerist McKinley, right? I mean, that that's 14 sacks that they did not get. They got two out of Jadavian, none out of Alex Wright. This has to change. And, uh, and you know that it will change in Jim Schwartz's defense. He will focus on getting these guys to the quarterback, isolating them, coming up with favorable matchups. And let's see what he can pull out of Alex Wright. But they have high hopes for Alex Wright. They drafted him in the third round. That's a spot where you expect guys to be key contributors, maybe even starters in a perfect world is what you would hope for. He's got to have more than zero sacks in 2023. Did you have anybody else, Ashley, that, that you were thinking about? Yeah, I mean, Mary Kay and I talked a little bit about this guy yesterday, but Greg Newsom to me kind of always comes to mind, especially, again, with, number one, being happy in his role and, you know, actually being willing to contribute no matter what this defense asks of him. I think we know how he feels about playing in the slot again, potentially. But the other big thing for me with him is just takeaways. Again, he doesn't have that first interception yet. Um, I know that's something he really wants. I think it would go a long way for him to get those takeaways because we already have kind of seen, like looking at the PFF stats and everything, teams not wanting to throw towards him as much. Now, I think a lot of that was because they could pick on Martin Emerson or felt like they could pick on Martin Emerson as the rookie and Greg kind of experienced something similar in 2021. But I think those getting those takeaways is the next step in his game for me. Yeah, and, uh, you know... I guess I had Emerson on on the list as a possibility. I mean, any rookie you could you could mention, just kind of you know, just developing into that second year. Um, DPJ, you know, had a really nice year. Um, probably, you know, what he develops into is maybe a does he become your like real number two receiver, or you know, what kind of happens there? I, I think he'd be an interesting one too. Okay, so some guys who need to step up here in 2023 for the Cleveland Browns. Uh, make sure you're a Football Insider subscriber. As I always tell you, cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page to get that info and get signed up and subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and look for our YouTube channel. We post two videos every day off of this podcast and that goes up on our Browns YouTube channel. Uh, just go search Cleveland Browns on cleveland.com right on YouTube and you'll find us. There's more there too as well, uh, especially during the season. We do stand-ups, highlights, all sorts of good stuff. So you'll want to become a subscriber to that YouTube page. For Mary Kay and Ashley, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, everybody. 